Hear now the word of God from Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 to 25. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, every year I get the privilege and the opportunity of leading two newcomer community groups. And uh, of course, this past year was a little bit different in the sense that we were not meeting in person, but uh, meeting online in Zoom. So I haven't had the opportunity of meeting everyone in my community group in person yet. And so uh, one day I was uh, at a cafe uh, getting some coffee and I see someone that looks like he's in my newcomer CG. And so we, we do the thing where we stare at one another because half our face is covered. And I say, Jin Young? And then he stares back at me and he says, Pastor Aaron? And I was like, dude, I had no idea you were six foot three. <laughs> and a part of the reason for that is because we're not digital creatures. We are embodied creatures. And there's only so much you can get to know someone uh, while on Zoom. And so the reason why I share this story is that uh, my hope is that as we begin to meet together in the flesh, that we will have the opportunity of getting to know one another on a much more deeper level than this past year, and that we'll be able to build an even stronger community uh, than we already have. Well, if we haven't met yet and uh, it's your first time here, I want to welcome you in particular, uh, particularly those of you who have joined us during this pandemic. Uh, my name is Aaron and I'm one of the pastors and chances are uh, you've heard the phrase before, the only things certain in life are death and taxes. And ordinarily, we think a lot more about our taxes than death, particularly during tax season, uh, like right now. But this past year, all of us have been consumed with thoughts about death. A part of it is because we hear COVID numbers of people getting sick and dying on a daily, daily basis. For other, others of us in our community, death has touched us on a much more personal level. Uh, by taking the lives of some of our family and even our friends. There was a certain point this past year where I woke up every morning expecting a message from someone in our community asking for prayer because someone that they loved was on the brink of death. And so we have been consumed with thoughts about death. But even though our thoughts have been filled with thoughts about death, I think if there is one thing that this past year has revealed about Americans in particular, is that we are one of the least prepared people 
to handle suffering and death. And there are all sorts of reasons for that. A part of it is because of our hospitals. Our hospitals largely shield us away from suffering, pain, and death. American culture as a whole is much more of a culture of celebration than a culture of lament. This is why even during our funeral services, we call it a celebration service of someone's life. And even the American church is filled with smiling faces on websites, peppy songs, no repentance in our service whatsoever. And even within the American church, we have much more of a culture of laughing out loud than lamenting out loud. And then when you add on top of that our secular culture, which ill-equips us to handle pain, suffering, and death, because within a secular culture, this life is really all there is. There is no life after death. And because there is no life after death in a secular worldview, secular culture sort of pressures us to squeeze as much happiness into this life as much as possible, to squeeze as much satisfaction and fulfillment into this life because this life is the only life that you get. The only problem is when suffering and death enter into our lives and take out that happiness, we don't know how to cope with the trauma that we are experiencing. And our heaven then quickly turns into a hell. And so because of that, we say things like, well, I know that the person that just died is in a better place, or I know that they're looking down on me right now, even though it is totally inconsistent with the secular worldview. We don't believe in a life after, but we have to say those things because secular culture is ill-equipped to help us cope with the trauma that we face. It doesn't give us the resources that we really, really need. All this to say, I think this is the reason why Easter and the message of Easter is more important for our culture than ever, ever before. The passage that was just read to us is, was written by the Apostle Paul. And as he is penning this letter, he himself is in prison and perpetually facing death row. If there is anyone that is well acquainted with grief, it is the Apostle Paul. And that makes him qualified to talk about suffering, pain, and death. And yet, look at what he says in verse 21. Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And what I want to do this morning is just to land our hearts and our minds just on this verse for today. And what I want to do is to just think about the second half of the verse before we talk about the first half of the verse, because you don't really know what to live for unless you know what to die for first. So what possible benefit could there be from dying when Paul says that dying and gain? What possible advantage or gain could there be? Well, historically, every religion has offered some kind of hope or promise of life after death. So Hinduism, there's reincarnation. Buddhism, there's nirvana. In Islam, there's paradise. In Christianity, there's heaven. But secularism 
is the first religion, and I do mean religion because it does have a worldview, a set of beliefs, and values. Secularism is the first religion or a religion, however you want to define it, that promises us nothing after we die. There is no life after death, and therefore I think that secularism offers us the least resources on handling pain and death. This past Good Friday, I shared an example from WandaVision. Uh, this past year in 2021, WandaVision was one of the more popular shows on Netflix. And if you're not familiar with the uh, Marvel heroes, Wanda and Vision are a couple. And uh, I think on Good Friday, I said um, Infinity Wars, and some of you were probably shaking your head like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But it's actually Endgame. In Endgame, um, Wanda is faced with the impossible decision of sacrificing her only husband for the many. Sacrificing someone for the many. Sounds familiar. And you know what she does? She does. She sacrifices her own husband for the greater good, for the many. But unable to cope with the loss of her husband and unable to deal with the trauma, she uses her powers to recreate her husband vision. So it looks like vision, talks like vision, acts like vision, only she in her heart of hearts knows that that's not really, really vision. And because she's unable to bring him back from the dead and to resurrect him, she's unable to deal with the pain and suffering and the loss that she is experiencing. And yet Paul here says something very, very different. He doesn't say to die is to lose, but he says that to die is to gain. Now, how is it that Paul can say that? I think the only reason why Paul can say that is because he believes and he knows a superhero that can actually raise someone from the dead. And not only raise them from the dead, but raise them from the dead better. In Greek mythology, there's a super scary story of Sybil of Kumai. And Sybil asks Apollo for everlasting life. And so Apollo gives it to her. The only problem was that Sybil forgot to ask for everlasting youth. And so Sybil lives forever and ever, but she perpetually gets older and older and older, and you see her shriveling up more and more and more. And so someone finally asks her, Sybil, what do you want out of life? And she responds by saying, to die. There is a big difference between eternal existence and a biblical understanding of eternal life. From a biblical perspective, in eternal life, we are not only resurrected again, but we not have the same body anymore, but we have a glorified God body. We no longer live in this world that is filled with viruses and racism and injustice, but we are resurrected to a much better world, heaven. Jonathan Evans, who is the son of the famous pastor Tony Evans, 
this past year, he lost his mother, Lois, after a long and hard battle with cancer. And Jonathan talks about how they were praying for his mother to be healed. But as he began to think about the resurrection more and more, he realized that either his mother will live or she will live. Either she will be healthy or she will be healthy. Either she will be with family or she will always be with family. Victory is hers and victory can be ours as well because of what Jesus has ultimately done for us on the cross. And this is why Paul says, for us to die is to gain. And because Paul is able to say to die is to gain, he now knows what to live for. And friends, I am convinced that the older I get, unless you are ready to die, you are not quite yet ready to live. But this is a man that is ready to die and therefore truly now knows how to live, which is why in the first part of this verse, he says to live is Christ. Now in the original Greek, the verse that, uh, the verse that I just said is just to live Christ. Now how do you translate something like that, to live Christ? Does he mean to live is Christ, to live for Christ, that we should live in Christ, that we should live like Christ? What does Paul mean when he says to live Christ? And the answer is yes to all of it. Uh, we've all heard the phrase something is life before. Family is life, food is life, um, traveling is life, music is life. Well, growing up for me, basketball was life. Growing up, I loved the game. I watched the game. I bled for the game. I broke both my arms for the game. I carried crutches in my trunk because of the game that I loved. I slept in high school. I slept with my basketball. That is how consumed I was with, the, with this game. And when Paul says Christ is life or to live is Christ, what he is saying is that Jesus Christ consumes his thoughts, his affections, his time, his talents, and his gifts. And my question to you today is this, what is life for you? What are you living for? What consumes your thoughts? What are you living and sacrificing your life for? And I think one helpful way of identifying what we live for is to take a look at the things that we sacrifice and die for. So it could be our careers, our profession, the startup that we've built from scratch. It could be our resume. It could be a relationship. It could be money, it could be possessions, it could be comforts. What would you say is life for you? Now, as you think about what you're living and dying for, because we are all living and dying for something, every single one of us, ask yourself this question. Is the thing that you're sacrificing your life for, killing yourself for right now, would that thing kill itself for you? 
the thing that you're sacrificing and sweating blood for right now, would that thing, your career, money, a portfolio, would that thing ever give its life for you? Now ask yourself this question, so why am I sacrificing my life for it? Now it's at this point that most people say, well, my family. I live for my spouse and my kids. And yes, they would give their life for me. And I would say, that's great. The only problem is, what about those of us who are not married? What about those of us who can't have kids? What are we supposed to live for? And the other thing I would say is, what happens when suffering and death pluck your family members, pluck your children out of your grasp? Then what are you going to live for? Every single one of us builds our lives upon things that are shakable, temporary, and impermanent. As Tim Keller would say, it is like a bird building a nest on a tree that is already falling down. And yet in Christianity, there is one thing, there is one person that would gladly sacrifice his life for us. In Christianity, there is a God who is permanent, who is eternal, who is indestructible, and that is Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul is so willing to live for Christ, to live in Christ, to live like Christ, because Jesus gave his life for him. And this is where we're while all religions talk about life after death, Christianity is very different in terms of how you earn life after death. This past Good Friday, uh, we thought about the, res uh, the cross. And when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he utters seven different sayings. One of the sayings that Jesus utters on the cross is the phrase, it is finished. When he's dying on the cross, he doesn't say, I am finished. But when he dies on the cross, he says, it is finished. And perhaps a good question then is, what is finished? What did you do? What did you accomplish? And what Jesus did on the cross, and for his whole life for that matter, is that he lived the life that we were supposed to live, a perfect life, reflecting God. But he not only lived the life that we were supposed to live, but he died the death that we deserved on the cross for us as well. And because Jesus earns everything for us and finishes that work for us, there's nothing left for us to earn. That, my friends, is the difference between religion and Christianity. In religion, you have to earn everything through your performance. But in Christianity, he has finished that work for us, irrespective of your moral performance. So let me give you an example of this. We've all seen The Voice before, and inevitably at the, at the last show of The Voice, when a winner is declared, they shove flowers into their hands and a mic, and they say, sing a final song. The only problem is they're so filled with all these different emotions. How, how are they supposed to sing? And so they're singing, but they're forgetting the words. They're barely breathing. They're crying. And honestly, at this point, because they've won, they don't care about the performance anymore. Why? Because the verdict is in. They've already, bit, they've already won. And similarly, as we think about the cross and as we think about us, the performance is over. 
the verdict is in. You've already won because Jesus has won in your place. And all we have to do is to hitch our lives to him because in him, victory is ours and forgiveness is ours as well. So the question is, where do we go from here? How can we respond to the gospel message? Well, a few months ago, I was listening to a talk by Peter Thiel and N.T. Wright. And if you don't know who Peter Thiel is, he's a billionaire and he's also the co-founder of PayPal. And so here you have a billionaire tech guru and N.T. Wright, who is a British scholar and theologian, and they were having a talk on how to approach death. And so they're mentioning a few ways that you can approach death. One is simply just to accept it and just say, it is what it is. It's going to happen to all of us. The death toll has always been the same, regardless of the coronavirus or not. So we're all going to die anyway. And neither of them were okay with that approach. There's another approach, and that's to simply ignore it, or as Neil Postman would say, to amuse ourselves to death and to distract ourselves with our phones and entertainment so we don't have to really think about death. But being the thinkers that they are, they weren't comfortable with that either. So they thought of a third way, the Peter Thiel way, and that was to fight death. Take your vitamins, exercise, cryogenically freeze yourself when you die in the hopes that technology will resurrect you again from the dead. And while Peter, Peter Thiel was okay with that, N.T. Wright was a little bit uncomfortable with that. And so N.T. Wright suggested a fourth way of approaching death. And that wasn't to accept it. That wasn't to ignore it. That wasn't to fight it. But it was to allow someone else to fight that battle for him. Someone who was strong enough to defeat death. And that is Jesus. As we think about this day, Easter, the main question isn't whether Jesus lived and died. Every reputable scholar and historian, whether they're religious or not, agrees that Jesus lived and died. The bigger question is, did he die and live? How you answer that question, my friends, can potentially change the course of your eternal destiny. The scholar and theologian Tony Morita says that when you take a look at the book of Genesis, it ends with Joseph's death. When you take a look at Deuteronomy, it ends with Moses' death. When you take a look at Joshua, it ends with Joshua's death. But when you take a look at the Gospels, it ends with a resurrection. It never ends. Take a look at all the Gospels. It never ends with Jesus' death. It always ends with his resurrection. And because of his resurrection, one day we will read death's obituary in triumph because of what he has done for us. In atheism and in secularism, death is the final period in your life. In Christianity, death is nothing but a comma. In atheism and in secularism, death is the final chapter. It marks the end of your life. But in Christianity, death marks the beginning of your life, the beginning of eternity for us. If you turn to the second page of your PDF inside your bulletin, I want to close by reading you a quote from 
Elon Musk, who is in many ways um, on the same tier level as Peter Thiel economically and in terms of the way that they approach death. And in a TED talk that he gave some years ago, he says this, I think it's important to have a future that is inspiring and appealing. I just think there have to be reasons that get you up in the morning and you want to live. Like, why do you want to live? What's the point? What inspires you? What do you love about the future? And if we're not out there, if the future does not include being out there among the stars and being a multi-planet species, I find that it's incredibly depressing if that's not the future that we're going to have. People are mistaken when they think that technology just automatically improves. It does not automatically improve. But I want to be clear, I'm not trying to be anyone's savior. I'm just trying to think about the future and not be sad. Well, if there are any Elon Musk in our midst today or online, I want you to know that you don't have to be sad because it is on this day that death has lost its sting and has been defeated. Nabil Qureshi says that without Jesus, we approach life with the expectation of death. But with Jesus, we approach death with the expectation of life. Well, I mentioned that I love basketball. And a few years ago, Paul Westfall, a legendary player and coach, was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And someone went up to Paul and he says, you're immortalized now. You're in the Hall of Fame. And Westfall responded by saying, no. Basketball, basketball cannot immortalize us. And what he was referencing to was his faith. There is only one person that can give us the immortality, the eternity that we need, and that is Jesus himself. So as we think about this, are you going to approach death just by accepting it? Are you going to ignore it? Are you going to fight a losing battle? Or are you going to let someone else fight this battle for you who himself has won already? Let's pray.